Um, so Rashad composed of our reader. Uh, thank you, Atusa, for asking me to speak um, wherever you are. Uh, it's really good to be here. It's a little bit early uh, for a meeting for me. Um, I wake up early for work, but it's just early. This is a little bit earlier than I get to a meeting. Um, but uh, it's really good to be, to be here. Nobody identified as new, but if you're like in the world listening to the podcast or wherever, um, I just want to start off by saying that like life is big and life is full, and um, it's scary. Uh, but I'm on this journey, and, it, and it's uh, it's really working out for me. Like OA is really working out for me. So if you don't get anything else out of it, just know that um, it works if you work it, and it's and it's working. <laughs> Uh, to qualify, I'm uh, the 100 uh, pounder variety, sugar addict variety, binger, grazer, uh, emotional eater variety, childhood obesity kind of kind of compulsive overeater. So uh, this goes back really really uh, long for me. Um, to get current and where I'm at today, I'm about uh, eight, 70 to 80 pounds down from my top weight. I've been maintaining that for about two and a half years. Um, I, I have a sponsor. I am sp- uh, I'm sponsored. I have about three to five sponsees right now. I'm not exactly sure how many. Um, uh, my abstinence is abstaining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Um, and I have about three and a half years of abstinence. My abstinence date is uh, in August, so it's uh, coming up here soon. And um, I have a food plan. It's three meals a day and uh, two optional snacks. And um, I do like the whole red light, yellow light, green light foods, and I send send my food to my sponsor every day. And uh, I take it one day at a time, one day at a time. And I have to allow myself to be a... Um, imperfect with this program because uh, perfectionism is one of my character defects and so for me if I grip it if I wear it like a straight jacket then if I can't do it perfectly then I don't want to do it at all so um, there was something else I wanted to say but I forgot for the qualifying part but uh, whatever so uh, to take it back to the beginning I guess um, I'm pretty sure that I came out like this um, what I've learned in these rooms is it doesn't really matter um, whether it was like nature or nurture. Like I don't know if either one of those makes me a compulsive overeater. Like what makes me a compulsive overeater is that when I put certain substances into my body, I have uh, an, an abnormal reaction. Um, but for me, uh, my mom tells an aggressive uh, story about how I was aggressive during the breastfeeding years of my life. So uh, I think I was born like this. But uh, like I said, I definitely struggled with like child being an overweight child. I remember being put on a diet when I was uh, you know nine or ten years old, and uh, I remember being um, like one of the fat kids in middle school and high school and. Um, you know, some of the most embarrassing and traumatic uh, moments of my life I, um, were the presidential fitness challenge at school. <laughs> and they would herd us all out to the field, and I couldn't do the pull-ups, and I couldn't really do the push-ups and all of that stuff. And, it, you know, uh, those, those moments like that made it crystal clear that I was not like my fellows, you know. And when they would herd us all into the locker room and ask us to take our shirt off so they could examine our backs for scoliosis, you know, and things like that. Those were like very traumatic moments uh, of my childhood. Um, and I just remember having um, 
a love for food. I don't remember why that was or, or anything, but, you know, some of the biggest joys of my childhood were, like, going to my grandmother's house and, like, eating banana nut pancakes um, or, like, stealing coins from my grandfather's couch and going down to the liquor store on the corner to get, like, the sweet snacks and stuff like that. You know, those are, like, the fun times that I remember about my childhood. It's all about food. Um, as I got a little bit older, um, you know, the weight came, just kept getting, um, kept coming on. Um, somewhere around my senior year of high school, my mom put me on a uh, bacon and grapefruit diet. <laughs> uh, and between that and a personal fitness class that I took in high school um, that I had put off until the last minute, um, I ended up losing a ton of weight. And that part of my life and story is significant because it's... Um, it's really, really clicked for me that people would treat me differently based on the way I look, you know. And so that's when I had sex for the first time and had my girlfriend for the first time and felt a part. I always ran with a with a group of, uh, you know, player-type jock athlete, athletic guys. And so it's like for the first time that I felt like I'm really a part of that group and like in the inside and not on the outside looking in. And, um, you know, that's really significant because I spent a lot of my... Uh, young adult life trying to chase that feeling that I got when I lost all that weight in high school, you know, trying to get that external validation. But I went on and uh, I went to college and um, the schooling and I went to college on an academic scholarship and uh, the schooling and all of that made sense. Like I could like manage that for my life. Like I knew that if I if I didn't get my good grades, I was going to lose my scholarship and I was going to have to move back to California and move back to South Central L.A. And I didn't want that. But when it came to the food, it was completely unmanageable. So I gained the freshman 15. I gained another 30 in my sophomore year. And by the time I graduated college, I was almost 300 pounds. Um, I trend, you know, transitioning into my, my young adult life, you know, I hear a lot of stories in the rooms about um, how, like, the disease prevented them from being successful. Well, in my adult life, my young adult life, I was successful. Or at least I had the illusion of functionality. Um, but I got a lot of kudos and a lot of uh, admiration from my family from graduating college and from getting a job and not always being one of the family members that had the handout and was, you know, asking for help. Um, so the way that that worked for me is I was able to kind of hide behind that seemingly, you know, success and, um, and didn't really have to face my issues that I was having because, um, you know, I was like doing okay from my family standards. Um, but all the while I was getting larger and larger and larger. And, um, I tried the dieting thing, you know, that started when I was young and I tried it in my adult life. And, um, you know, it just kind of was one of those things where I would start off strong and it would last and I would I would go like 30 days and I would lose the weight. I would lose like a lot of weight really quickly. And then once that diet was over, I would like gain it all back, you know, plus 20. And then I tried to do the same diet again and it would only last like 14 days, you know. And then, uh, you know, it was just that cycle to the point where it was like, okay, I'm not going to drink soda anymore. Just for today, I'm not going to drink soda and by 12 o'clock noon, I look down and realize that I'm halfway done with an extra large Coke from the drive-thru at McDonald's, you know? When it comes to things like that, like I am, I am the alcoholic in the, in the big book with the milk and the whiskey. 
Um, and uh, I brought my big book. I didn't really plan what I was going to say, but I, I like to use the big book as a, um, or some sort of literature to anchor me in case I start rambling. But, um, you know, what it was like for me is really, is really descriptive here. Um, you know, it talks about us being restless, irritable, and discontented unless we can again gain the experience or unless we can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes by taking the first bite. Bites which I see other people take with impunity. After I succumb to that desire again, as so many others do, the phenomenon of craving develops and I pass through well-known stages of sprees, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to eat again. You know, and that's like, that's really like my story when it, when it comes to how, you know, how it was. It's just pure insanity. When it comes to me and my food and me trying to control it and me trying to manage and manipulate my body, it's just pure insanity. You know, I'm the type of compulsive overeater that, that drives 30 to 50 miles in the country to go to the Starbucks that's open 24 hours just so I can get a slice of marble loaf and a, and a frappuccino, you know, um, in the middle of the night, <laughs> you know. I'm the, I'm the type of compulsive overeater that knows exactly what time the fresh donuts are made at the, at the donut shop in, on Normandy and, between Normandy and Western. <laughs> like, uh, true story. Um, <laughs> um, and so what happened for me is, is um, I am definitely cross-addicted. Um, you know, I have multiple addictions, and what happened for me is it all kind of came to a head. I came into um, a lot of money, and um, I thought the money, I spent most of my life thinking that the money or the girl was going to fix me. And uh, when I came into money, all it did was give me more fuel to exercise my addictions. And all of that stuff kind of came to a head, and I ended up, when I woke up out of my stupor, I, I woke up on my grandmother's couch in South Central L.A., and so for me, that was my bottom. It was very clear that as a 30-something-year-old man, me sleeping on my grandmother's plastic-covered couch back in the hood after having that academic scholarship, after having that financial success, um, something was wrong. So it was recommended that I get sober, and I got sober. Uh, I went to a program for that, and uh, I started getting emotions and feelings and stuff came up, and it was suggested that I eat chocolate. <laughs> My sponsor said, it's going to be okay. Go, eat, go get some ice cream. So I ate a lot of chocolate. <laughs> I ate a lot of ice cream. I ate a lot of bagels. I took a lot of those snack commitments. <laughs> uh, I remember one time I, I, had, I decided I was going to bring pizza to the meeting. <laughs> I brought two. One for me and one for the meeting. <laughs> um... And, you know, I, when you're working the 12 steps and you, get, and you start getting compulsive in other ways, which a lot of us tend to do, um, when it starts to get out of control, for me, I didn't feel sober. And it felt very uncomfortable. So I started complaining about it in that fellowship. And I started complaining about it with my sponsor. And, uh, you know, the suggestion was that, like, hey, you know, finish your 12 steps and then figure out, you know, what, what, you know, what to do next. And... But it just kept going, you know, and I rolled into that program at 300 pounds, you know, and um, I gained a lot of weight really quickly eating all that chocolate and bagels and stuff. And uh, so I kept complaining about it, and my sponsor said, well, you know, you have to, you have to focus on whatever's going to kill you the quickest. 
you know, and then lo and behold, I went to the doctor and they started ringing all of the alarms. You know, hey, you are classified as morbidly obese. You're at risk for heart disease. You're now classified as pre-diabetic. There's something wrong with your blood. It looks like sleep deprivation, so you probably have, you know, sleep apnea. So what, what happened for me is it became very clear that I was killing myself with food. Beyond that, I had, I had conceded to my innermost self that I was power, that I was an addict, an alcoholic with food. It happened for me. And so I found my way into OA. I go to meetings on the west side. And uh, I didn't hear a lot of 100-pounders and, and those type of uh, compulsive overeaters on that side. And so um, I sat around for a little bit, focusing on the differences, focusing on how I wasn't an anorexic, focusing on how I wasn't a bulimic, focusing on how I didn't go to five drive throughs in a row and do a 10,000-calorie binge. And, uh, you know, I, I heard enough. I heard those questions. And so I knew I was in the right rooms. Um, but I couldn't find somebody that had what I wanted, you know. And um, you guys told me to find someone that had what I wanted. So I was looking for a 100-pounder, a black man, um, that looked like The Rock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't find that guy. I didn't find that guy. Um, but I did... Uh, I did you know, I did what they told me to do. I did what you guys told me to do, which was to keep coming back. So I started to get bitter, and I was just writing. Like, I would go to the meetings, and you know how they have a little We Care book that circulates. And, uh, you know, at the end, there's usually, like, something where you can write whatever your thoughts are. And I just, like, literally for, like, 30 days, looking for a sponsor, you know. And um, one day I was in the cottage, and I heard this gentleman who didn't look anything like I thought I wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, he started talking about um, the way that he worked his program and the peace and the serenity and the way that he had a relationship with his wife and his family. And, and then it clicked to me that I, I really wanted something more than the vanity here. You know, I wanted the sanity. And uh, I started working with that gentleman. His name is Jeffrey S. And I, uh, I still work with him today. Um, and we met for the first time at the Jocelyn Park meeting in Santa Monica. And I rattled off the list of... Uh, you know, I don't do these 10,000 10, calorie binges. I don't do this. I don't do that. And he let me finish. <laughs> and he lovingly said, Rashad, you're the size that you are for a reason. It's very clear that your body's getting more food than it needs. So that day I went on a tear. It started with a bagel shop on Wilshire in Santa Monica, and it ended with the Popeye's chicken and biscuits in South Central LA. And in the middle of the night with a bunch of prostitutes and drug addicts and homeless people and gangbangers and rats and roaches, I had to have those buttered biscuits. Right? And I lived about a block away from the pop from the Popeyes. But I couldn't make it home. So I'm in there in the dark of the night in an unsafe place and I'm just eating biscuits one after the other. And that's when I had my moment. And I realized that I was truly, truly powerless over food. And my life was clearly unmanageable. Because I was one of those crackheads out there in the street at that night. But my crack was, was buttered biscuits from Popeye's. <laughs> right? Um, and I woke up the next day and I was struck abstinent. I don't exactly know how that happens. But what people have taught me is that how it works is how it works. But the next day I woke up, I was struck abstinent. And I found the willingness to get into the work. I got into the work, 
And um, it really transformed me. It was my second time around through the steps. And so um, it all, it all, it was like another layer. It was like another layer, um, a greater admission of powerlessness with food and everything else, a deeper relationship with a higher power, uh, an opportunity to look at the stuff that I didn't uncover the first time around with my step four and five, um, a realization of what character defects were still there. You know, and which ones I didn't really, I really didn't want to let go of. An opportunity to, to make the amends again, and um, to to find the willingness and the courage to to do the financial amends that I wasn't willing to do the first time around, and um, to enhance my practice and and to be reminded that that perseverance is a really important thing here, and to continue to take inventory. You know, because I haven't, I haven't got it all figured out. I haven't arrived, as it says in our literature. Um, and to enlarge in my spiritual practice, you know, and to to become so clear and obvious that when I don't, when I don't pause to make that connection, it it causes wreckage in my life. And so to be able to kind of come back around the second time and really enhance that practice, and then to learn how to sponsor it all over again and to give it away and to get clear about what kind of compulsive overeater I can help and which one I should probably let somebody else help Um, and how to be of service how to be of service and so you know as a result of these you know of of these steps like the promises have really come true in my life and um, you know it talks about being amazed before we're halfway through a newfound freedom and a newfound happiness. You know, we won't regret the past. We won't want to shut the door on it. We will know pe- we will know serenity. We will hear the word serenity, and we will know peace. And no, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will experience. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in ourselves. Self seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. And that has been my experience. All of my situations, all of, all of these things, you know, I am living a life beyond my wildest dreams. I am living a life beyond my wildest dreams, and, and it, I, didn't, I didn't dream of the life that I'm having today. Um, and so just everything around me, like all of these things that I used to obsess over, um, you know, the more that I do the inside work, the more these outside things just kind of come together. And so I'm not really stressing about life. I'm not really stressing about money. I'm not really stressing about the relationship. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not trying to fix my family. You know, I get to just move through the world with a little bit of peace and a little bit of serenity for that day. And, um, you know, when things get sticky, I, I get to remember that I don't, like, I don't do it by myself. You know, I need to tap on my fellow. I need to call a fellow. I need to connect to something greater than myself. And, you know, recently, I guess what's been up for me is um, there's a lot of stuff up right now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess what's up for me when it comes to food and body is... I noticed I, I went over a period of time and I was trying to tinker with my. Um, there's still a part of me that wants to lose 100 pounds in this in this program, 
and I started doing these things. I, you know, I asked my sponsor for suggestions. He, he suggested I get outside help. This outside help put me on like a very um, like a weighed and measured plan, and it kind of backfired on me. <laughs> it didn't work, and I just felt crappy. Um, and it was basically a food plan that I couldn't I couldn't do. And um, I actually gained weight on that food plan a little bit. Not not a ton, but a little bit. Um, it was like five pounds, but it feels like a ton because <laughs> I'm a compulsive overeater and a body obsessive. But um, what happened for me and how the program works in my life when it comes to food and body is I was reminded to just get back to basics. And what am I willing to do? You know, am I willing to do a 60 and 60? Am I willing to get current and honest with my sponsor and in the rooms? Am I willing to do simple things like drink more water? Am I willing to do simple things like get some rest? Um, am I willing to ask for help focusing on my green light foods instead of living in my yellow light foods? You know, I was able to answer the yes to all those questions. You know, am I willing to pick up the book and pick up my notebook and get to writing and get back into the steps? And so, you know, that's where I'm at to get current with food and body. And, and I started that journey um, somewhere about 45 days ago. So I'm like, you know, 45 and 45 uh, right now. Um, and, it, and, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm not obsessing about my body anymore. And my food, is, and my food looks a lot better than it did two months ago. Um, and I didn't really manipulate or control myself into doing anything different. I just did the simple things like go to more meetings and do step work. So not always easy, but it is very, very simple. Um, and the, you know what else is up? You know for us when we put the food to the side, you know we get to see what's really up. And what's really up for me is um, transition at work, transition in my living situation, transition in my uh, romantic relationship, and. Um, all that stuff is extremely scary. And I get to acknowledge that, like, I'm scared. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. And um, I get to ask for help. And I get to exercise a little humility. And um, I get to bring God into it. And I get to have a little bit of faith that everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to. And it is. It is. Slowly but surely, it's all working out the way it's supposed to. So if you're uh, new or in the room and didn't identify in the beginning, or if you're new out there in the universe on the podcast, um, for me, what helped was just diving right in. And um, there's definitely hope in this room, and there's definitely freedom from the obsession, but willingness is the key. And so if you're struggling, maybe just pray for the willingness. Maybe just do something simple like go to a 30 and 30. See if you, see if you feel differently at the end of it. Um, for me, it's simple things like that that really make a huge difference. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Well, I remember what I wanted to say but forgot um, <laughs> about my abstinence. My bottom lines are, are I don't bend, I don't graze, and I don't eat recreational sugar. So I just wanted to be a little bit clear about that. Um, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. As a, Also, please remind, remember 
that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Are there any questions? Thank you, Michelle. Uh, what do you do on a daily basis for your spiritual life? So the question is, what do I do on a daily be- basis for my spiritual life? Um, so I usually get up and um, like I just try to like clean up my little area if my significant other isn't there. Um, I usually wake up before her, so if she's not there, then I make up the bed. If uh, if she is there, then I just quietly exit the room. Um, but I like try to clean up my little area, and then uh, I like to read for today. And then I meditate for about five minutes on on the reading that I read, and then I uh, I grab a pillow and like get on my knees and and uh, start saying prayers. And sometimes the prayers are like just the Serenity Prayer or the Step Three Prayer. Um, and then sometimes I will like go I will like freestyle <laughs> prayer like ad lib it. Um, and I like it when I when that happens because I like it makes it a little bit more real and more connected for me. And then. Um, I try to like move my like I try to go for like a walk in the morning. So it all depends on my timing and my workload. But um, what I do, no matter what, is I make sure that I I do I get into some sort of twelve step reading. I pause and meditate, and then I start praying. Thank you so much. <clears throat> so let me start today. How during the day, if the food becomes imperfect or if you are triggered by life? How do you access at that point the tools, your higher power, the help you need? Um, so, how do you know? How, what tools do I use during the day when life gets tough? Um, I, I, a lot of meditation, a lot of meditation, a lot of uh, walking, um, outreach calls, and. Um, Yeah, the food doesn't get too crazy because, um, you know, I've been working the program. I, like, I've, I've been restored to sanity in a certain way. So the food never feels, like, overwhelming. Like, I never have those urges where it's like, life is so bad that I really need to go get this piece of red velvet cake. Like, that, for me, does not happen. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that I have been relieved of the compulsion and the obsession in that way. Um... So most of the time when my food is wonky, it's like not super obvious. You know, it's not, it's a little bit more insidious where it's like I don't realize it until like I write everything down at the end of the day. And then I, or if I look at it over the week and I'm like, oh, that stuff showed up a lot this week. Um, But yeah, when I'm uh, really stressed or agitated, um, I usually make a phone call. I try to call my sponsor at least once a day. I have two sponsors, one in each program. And, um, just meditation, you know, meditation really helps me out a lot. I usually, if I'm at work, I usually go to my car, but sometimes I will, like, meditate at my desk <laughs> at work, and so my coworkers think that I'm, like, some spiritual yogi or something. It's so hilarious, because I'll just be, like, I'll put my headphones on, and I'll just be, like, sitting at my desk quietly. And, uh, yeah, they have no idea that I'm an addict, compulsive <laughs> <possible> or either. <laughs> Definitely not a yogi, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I find that meditation is very, very helpful for me. Um, it helps, like, kind of hit the reset button and um, talking to other fellows and people that have more experience than me, like my sponsor. Thank you.
to bring me back to reality. There was somebody in the back. Um, so money and women were your higher power before you came to Burma? that higher power caused your name to you? Um, so, so money and my uh, money and women were my higher power before I came into program. And uh, when that stuff calls my name, um, what do I do? Um, I still need a lot of recovery in those areas. <laughs> um, so, in my experience, um, if it, with with multiple addictions, what I find is that. Um, when I put something down, something else inevitably pops up. And um, so right now I'm in that phase of, like, awareness. Um, but for whatever reason, just because I'm, like, in the steps right now, I'm in the program, like, it's just, like, it's not in a destructive, painful way. But I've got, like, there's some there's some stuff up. The, the sex and love stuff kind of, uh, kind of died down when I got into a relationship. Um, the money stuff is still there. Um, but for whatever reason, I just like I'm very aware of it, and so I don't I don't really act out on it that much. But there's like a long list of really exp- like uh, life is hard right now, <laughs> and uh, like I have to move out of my apartment very soon, and uh, yeah, there's a bunch of drama about my living situation, um, and like my head tells me that a a brand new five thousand dollar Leica camera is the solution. <laughs> like, call, like calling myself out, like my plan is to leave here, go to the Leica store in Beverly Hills on my way to get my hair cut in North Hollywood. Um, but um, luckily I'm just like I'm not acting out in a way, I'm not being destructive with it. But um, yeah, just with a little bit of humility and honesty, like I still need a lot of recovery when it comes to um, healthy relationships and a healthy relationship with money. Um, what's your approach to sponsorship? Um, what is my approach to sponsorship? I am on step 12 right now, and so that's I'm in the midst of uh, refining that. But at the end of the day, I just sponsor the way that I was sponsored. And so from a... Um, you know, from I guess from a practicality or from a tactical standpoint, um, we work out of the um, OA 12 and 12 um, and the AA 12 and 12. We take a detour right before step four. We go through the big book, the entire big book, from pages zero through 164, and then we get back into the uh, the 12 and 12s um, after that. And um, my sponsor is a very loving sponsor, so what I notice about him, and I do, and I am not perfect at this yet, yet and I guess that's a testament to him being in program for 10 years <laughs> or more, um, but he really doesn't try to tell me what to do. He really just kind of listens to what I'm going through and then relates his experience, strength, and hope in this area, and usually he's got some experience, strength, and hope in that area. Um, I find that if I'm ask if I need him to give me some sort of specific guidance, I have to like really ask for it. And so I try to take that approach with my sponsors. I'm not so good at it. I um I uh I had a, re- a sponsee that recently dropped me, and I think I was probably trying to dictate his his uh, abstinence a little bit too much, you know. Um, and so it's all good. Like I hope he finds what he was looking for and all of that stuff. But one thing that has become very crystal clear, because um, I've taken on a lot of new sponsees lately, um, and I always kind of scoff at those people that have these rules about their sponsee, like they have to go to four meetings or they have to, uh, 
you know, they have to have three commitments. I would always kind of scoff at that type of sponsorship, and it's just because that's not how I was sponsored. But I see why that makes sense for a lot of people now. And so for me, um, as I start off, I ask the person if they're willing to do a 30 and 30. And that's because when I was new, I did like 365 and 365. And nobody told me to do that. Um, so for me, I think if, uh, if somebody's resistance to doing uh, 30 and 30, they probably don't have the desperation that I had in the beginning. And uh, I'm probably not the best sponsor for them because I don't really relate to people that are not that desperate. Like when I came in here, I was out of ideas and I, this was the last, the last house on the block for me. And I, you know, once I had that moment with those biscuits, there was no doubt in my mind that I could somehow still manipulate and control my body. Uh, and so if, if the person that I'm working with hasn't quite got to that point yet, I'm just probably not the best sponsor for them. And usually I find that out pretty quickly if I ask them, them to do a 30 and 30. Thank you so much. Um, do you still email biscuits? Uh, <laughs> uh, do, uh, the question is, do I still eat biscuits? Um, <laughs> Um, so biscuits are not a part of my abstinence. My abstinence is I don't. My bottom. So when it came to defining my abstinence, I did like any good millennial would do, and I googled it. Right? And and when I googled it, what came up was what it says here. You know, the action of refraining from compulsive eating, compulsive food behaviors while working towards and maintaining or maintaining a healthy body weight. And I like about two years after that, I realized when I was starting to feel like a little bit wonky and like, well, what does this mean and, and whatnot? Then I realized I needed to be a little bit more clear about like what my bottom lines are. And my bottom lines are no binging and no grazing and I don't eat recreational sugar. Um, and for me, I had to get clear on what a binge was, right? Because I had heard all these different versions of what binging was. And like um, a binge for me, it looks like I grab a box of famous Amos cookies. I sit on the couch. I'm watching TV. There's a hand-to-mouth thing, and then before I know it, the box is empty, and I don't know what happened. Like, that's a binge for me. Eating a whole pack of cookies for my girlfriend is not a binge for her. Um, so I got really clear on what, what uh, my bottom lines are, and again, it's no binging, no grazing, like the kind of nibbling all day where it's like there is no defined lunch or dinner or breakfast or, you know, it's just kind of like I've been eating all day. Anytime I'm, like, not a little full, I get a little bit more food to, like, fill back up, you know? Um, and the recreational sugar. So I don't, I don't really say that there's any one food group that would break my abstinence. Um, but for me, recreational sugar is just something that, like, I know it doesn't work. I know when I eat one cupcake, it's not enough. Like, for me, I know with, beyond a shadow of a doubt that sugar is, is like my alcohol when it comes to food. With bread, I, um, I have moved biscuits and a lot of other savory, tasty, uh, pastry, bread type of things um, into what I call the red, my red light food list. And so, no, to answer your question a little bit more concisely, no, I don't eat biscuits. I ate, uh, I ate two biscuits once in the, in the three and a half years that I've been abstinent um, in Portland. And uh, <laughs> well, I was in Portland, and there was a place, and we were. It was a group thing, and I I had a biscuit, and then I immediately went for that other one, and I like it was like, oh, this is that this is that abnormal reaction, you know. And so for me, it's it's probably best that I stay very far away from biscuits. But that doesn't mean other stuff doesn't pop up, and I have to like get real honest and clear about what that is. So.
So I think eventually they say the road narrows. I think eventually one of my bottom lines is going to be white flour. But I'm not there yet. <laughs> So I mentioned green light, yellow light, and red light foods. Um, can I explain a little bit about what that means? Um, so I have uh, I have an eating disorder, and I also have a gastrointestinal issue. And so for me, my red light foods are things um, that like certain things that I know that I shouldn't be eating. Right, so deep fried foods for a person that's trying to work towards a main or maintain a healthy body weight probably isn't a good idea for me. So a lot of deep fried stuff will go on my red light list. Things that obviously spark the phenomenon of craving for me. So recreational sugar, buttered biscuits. Um, there's other like uh, bread. Oh, oh, cornbread is a thing for me. Like my family makes this like sweet buttered cornbread thing, and like oh my god, I used to eat the whole pan at like the Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So. Um, things like that go in my red list. So thing, uh, and then also things that aggravate my gastrointestinal disorder. And then my yellow light foods are, are like things that are like I could go crazy on that stuff, but I usually don't. But it's just it's a little bit of gray. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not like spiritually fit, those things show up much more than they should. And for me, a lot of times the yellow light stuff is, are things that probably need to be moved over to the red light list that I quite haven't, I haven't really quite got there just yet in my recovery. Um, but there, you know, there it's like a cautionary flag. You know, you're you're treading in dangerous territory as a compulsive reader. And my green light foods are things that don't bother me at all. You know, things that nur- that nourish my body that that don't um, react negatively to my gastrointestinal disorder. Um, and I don't really like, you know, when I eat kale, I don't think about kale later. I, I've heard, um, I've heard, um, I've, like, uh, I've heard people talk about, well, I could binge on, on broccoli. And it's true. Like, I, I could probably binge on baby carrots, you know, if I'm, like, sitting there in front of the TV and just kind of going away. Um, but I don't. I don't. So typically those things are, like, my green light foods, um, chicken and stuff like that is on my green light um, Certain meats don't really like my my doctors have told me that like cured meats don't really work well for my gut over time so I don't those are like more like yellow light um, does that, I hope that it's clear it's it's evolving too it's evolving you know it's not something that's set in stone but there are some things that I, I cannot I cannot play myself I when it I don't know how to eat pancakes like a gentleman so uh, there's no playing around or moving that around yep. Can you talk a little bit about acceptance and what you do when you're not in it? Uh, can I talk a little bit about acceptance um, and what I do when I'm not in it? Acceptance is the answer <laughs> to all my problems. Um, I mean, it's a process. I mean, I just awareness that I'm in a lack of acceptance. What I know, I, um, I heard something outside the rooms recently that describes that perfectly, and uh, it's like, when I'm unhappy, it's because I'm refusing to accept that the way the thing that the way that something is 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 not the way that I want it to be. And um, for me, I just know I'm just very aware that when I have a lack of acceptance, and no matter what the arena, um, it just causes a lot of discomfort and happiness. I mean, an unhappiness. And so for me, it, it's what can I be grateful for? Um, 
I, for me, what helps is like, what are the positives in this situation, you know? Um, and I just slowly move back towards acceptance. But for I guess for me, it's just very aware that when I'm raging and like something's really off and I'm like spiritually unfit, it's probably because of a lack of of acceptance at some area in my life. And uh, that that fact is that fact is as clear to me as it is clear that I can't really eat sugar like a gentleman. Does that answer? You did. Perfect. Thank you very much. Could you talk about two things? One, how have your relationships changed with your family and friends over the course of your recovery? And do you, have you had or do you have to deal with guilt and shame? So, two questions. How have my relationships changed with my family and do I have to deal with uh, guilt and shame? Um, my relationship with my family um, and friends um, has evolved. Like some, I've got, I talked about this with my fellow uh, O-Ray um, recently and um, it's just uh, like when it comes to friendships that don't work, uh, he articulated very good and we were, we were talking about a mutual friend and um, Hmm. Uh, I guess what? How can I wrap this up quickly? I've gotten really clear on what friendship looks like for me, and then with my family, I don't try to control them. I'm powerless over my food and body. I'm also powerless over their food and body and their money situations. Um, the survivor's guilt thing comes up a little bit. You know, my mom uh, just got diagnosed with some sort of weird liver thing, like fatty liver type of thing, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver type of thing, and. Um, I hear a lot of I hear enough Al-Anon shares in the rooms to know that um, my mom's body is not my business. Thanks for letting me share, guys.